Hey, Joey Baseballs. Hey, you doing, man? Hey, not for nothing. How great are the Yankees doing? Oh, forget about it. How you doing? Good morning, and... Good morning. Uh, Hi. We didn't coordinate. No, we did. Oh, we did. I was just saying good morning. Oh, well, good morning. Hi. Uh, hi, this is episode 275 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh. Also saying hi is Sam hi. Miller. Hi. Um, any banter? Uh, no, no banter today. Yeah, I've got nothing. Um, serious, serious business only. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so it's listener email show. So we got a bunch. We picked some of them. And now we're going to read them, or hopefully you're going to read them. Are you going to read them? Am I? Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, I'll read them. All right. So uh, the first question is from Chris, uh, who writes, Saturday was the anniversary of one of the stranger happenings in baseball. Tippy Martinez picked off three straight runners off first base to get out of the 10th inning. Um, the... Uh, play-by-play of the game from the bottom of the ninth inning onward is remarkable. It's highly unlikely we'll ever see something like that again. The current major league leader in pickoffs is Julio Tehran with eight. Uh, indeed, three pickoffs or more by a single pitcher in a game has happened only nine times since 1916. So, what feat that could happen in a game but rarely, if ever, happens would you most like to see? A pitcher striking out five batters in an inning? A batter getting seven hits in a nine-inning game? Five home runs by one batter in one game. Mm. And inside the park, Jose Molina home run. Uh, and so that's the end of the question. Few few comments on the question. One, I have to admit that for my entire childhood, I was not sure if Tippy Martinez and Dennis Martinez were the same person and Tippy was his nickname. Because <laughs> there was this weird era in the late 80s where sometimes Tops would just randomly <laughs> replace the name with the nickname. Uh-huh. So you would actually have like, uh, like there's a card where it's Doc Gooden instead of Dwight Gooden. And there's a card where it's Rock Reigns instead mm-hmm. of Tim Reigns. And uh, Tippy Martinez and Dennis, I, I assume two separate people, I'm <laughs> progressing as though they're two separate people, but for a while they were teammates and I was never a hundred percent sure that they. I'm googling right now. I'm not. I'm still not sure. Yeah, that's. Okay. Uh, it, it was. It was harder to get answers to questions like that. In those, it was. In those you're days. right. Yes. And now I know. It took me 12 seconds. <laughs> Tippy Martinez's real name was Felix uh, Martinez, mm-hmm. and uh, he was born in Colorado. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I, my entire life I wondered that, and now I know. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, I um, corrected your use of only. I, it is a pet peeve of mine when people put only in the wrong part of the sentence. Mm. Yes, three, me too. Uh, three, uh, a pitcher striking out five batters in an inning is a good example. Five home runs by a batter in one game is a good example. Mm-hmm. An inside the park home run by Jose Molina is a good example. A batter getting seven hits in a nine-inning game means nothing to me yeah <laughs> so uh that now that i have now that i have uh criticized your email enough uh it's a very good question mm-hmm. it's the perfect question as soon as i read it i knew i would answer it and so now i turn to you ben do you have an answer i have a few i'm not thrilled with any of them and i'm sure i'll come up with a better one as soon as we finish recording but um i had a few quirky ones that have happened like once and not for a while that are kind of cool and that I would like to see. Uh, the first one is a walk-off catcher interference. Oh, which... gosh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, my God. It's, well, the thing it's is, happened. Though, 
it would be amazing and now you tell me it's happening yes. i can't wait to hear but on the other hand it's not it's not debatable and so in a sense you could think of walk-off scenarios that might be uh more hot take inspiring than that i mean it yeah. would be pretty definitive yeah right uh so it was august 1st 1971 the dodgers beat the reds five to four it was the 11th inning um and Willie Crawford was at the plate, and uh, Manny Moda attempted a steal of home, and Johnny Bench, who was catching, stepped in front of the plate to tag him. Mm. Uh, catcher's interference, walk-off. So, also, a, also a balk, by the way. I know this from my recent balk <laughs> experience. If the catcher leaves the catcher's box in attempting to thwart a, uh, a steal of home or, or anything like that, it's a balk. So they could have called a balk. And I, I would argue that a walk-off balk in some scenarios would be uh, even more controversial and interesting. Yeah, I, I envy your knowledge of some of the more obscure parts of the baseball rulebook after after you wrote that. The balk stuff was really great. I have a whole list of balk topics I want to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's one curiosity that I like, just a fun fact that has happened, I guess, once where... Uh, a player, a shortstop, played a double header, played a double header, and never touched a ball. Hmm. Never, never had a ball hit to him. Never had a an opportunity. Um, and it was, uh, let's see, it was 1976. It was uh, Toby Hara, and and that happened. He played a double header and just never, never had a, an opportunity to field a ball. But which is is cool, and I guess I'd like to see that, but it's the kind of thing where I wouldn't realize that I had seen it, probably, until someone told me, and then how interesting is it that I didn't see someone do something? Probably yeah, the not. Fir- well, the first question I had is, when was that even noticed? Because I, I'm yeah. not sure that the shortstop would have noticed. I mean, he did touch the ball. Every time there was a strikeout, yeah. for instance, mm-hmm. uh, and they threw it around the infield, he touched it, so... It's conceivable that he didn't know, mm-hmm. and and you wonder when was that discovered? Was this a? I don't know. Was this was this like a? Was this did was this discovered four months ago when Jeff Sullivan decided he wanted <laughs> to do a topic and went looking? Probably, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether that was noted at the time or not. Um, and then the last thing that I I would kind of like to see, and not that I would like to see this brought back, but I would like to see how it works in practice for maybe a game or two is the like the old uh, original single umpire system. Mm. I think the the four umpire system according to this this MLB page I'm looking at was first employed in the World Series in 1909. So uh, in the in the dark ages of baseball history, uh, there would just be one umpire or two umpires and you hear stories about the kind of liberties that players would take and they'd hold on to people's belts to keep them from running or they'd cut across from first to third without going to second because the empire wasn't looking. Um, I'm not in favor of, of bringing this system back. I am in favor of better umpiring, not, not worse umpiring. But now that we have instant replay and GIFs, it would be fun, maybe just for an exhibition or two, to see what players would try to get away with if they could. I also feel like in in football, it feels like there are a lot of gifts involving referees being, uh, you know, like running about and getting hit by, you know, getting hit by players and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. And by by forcing an umpire to be mobile, you probably would get a lot more collisions. You know, yes, in a way that might be pleasing. So um, mine is uh, 
is is more unrealistic than than I guess your first two at least. Mm-hmm. But I've always I've really always been fascinated by the idea of what a baseball team would have to do if they had fewer than nine players on the field. So so the thing that I would really like to see is some sort of situation where there's a brawl and seventeen or more players get ejected mm-hmm. on one team and they are forced to play with fewer than nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really want to see that uh, in the worst way. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could imagine. Although I guess it would be harder, but you could imagine a situation with injuries and extra innings. Uh, but really, then you would just see pitchers, you know, the next day starting pitcher playing third base or, or something like that mm-hmm. to fill in, which, you know, would satisfy me. I mean, that, that that's a fair compromise. If, if anybody's offering that, I would, I would take it as a compromise. But I really do want to see how the defense would align if they had eight, if they had seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that's mine. I, I want to see a situation where 17 or more are ejected mm. from a game. And it seems possible, um, but very unlikely. It hasn't come close to happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, and I don't have a, I don't have a, it's not a specific event necessarily, a specific achievement, but... I'm really into watching pitchers who are unable to throw strikes, who um, who throw 12 or more balls in a row. Mm. Uh, I'm fascinated by the psychology of it, and I'm it surprised. Amazes- I would think that you would be you'd be so anxious on the pitcher's behalf that you wouldn't even oh, enjoy that. So anxious. Yeah. So so anxious. Yeah. I mean it. I, it does. I'm sweating. I, my palms are right now sweating a little bit thinking about it. Maybe my favorite thing I, I ever wrote was about Derek Holland uh-huh. in the in the 2010 World Series, uh, who threw I think 11 before he managed to strike, and it was just incredible to watch him. and And I always love watching this when not it, and it, it it's important to me that the guy comes out of the bullpen unable to throw strikes or or starts the game unable to throw strikes if it's if it's in, if it's kind of snuck into the middle of an inning you don't notice it quite as much um, but yeah i really like the idea that the the crowd grows extremely antsy by about the fifth or sixth one and it gets louder and louder and then the camera starts you know focusing really tight like the camera gets super tight on 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 everybody and Oh, I just, I, I mean, I really like, I hate it. I love it. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a situation that I watch baseball to see. And I would like to see that taken to some sort of extreme level, like 24 balls, 28 balls, something like that. And it never gets there. I did a piece on the longest non-strike uh, streaks by pitchers this year. I did that probably around January. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. January was the month of, of, articles about pitchers not throwing strikes as mm-hmm. i recall yes and uh and and it, i think w- like one guy in the in the modern in the you know in the last 15 years has thrown 16 in a row and i think 12 was the record l- last year i would like to see it go longer than that so that's a thing i'd like to see mm-hmm. I- just to see just because it's it's interesting the, the the vibe changes the mood changes in in ways i mean it becomes almost like a riot it's it's weird it's weird to see mm-hmm. how everybody changes so I'd like to see pitchers playing positions more often also. Yeah, just, me just too. As a, just as a, a platoon matchup thing, just putting yeah. a reliever in the outfield corner or something just so you can bring him back to face the next guy. Yeah, that had its moment in the 80s, and it seems like it. it now it's just kind of no, nobody does that anymore. I guess maybe you don't need to when you have eight relievers. Could be. Could be. Although, on the other hand, um, like Jonah Carey, uh, 
uh, tweeted the other day about his favorite game ever or something along those lines. And it was like a 22-inning game between the Expos and the Dodgers that was like a, I think it was one nothing. I might be wrong about that. But five pitchers on, on one side and six on the other. And you look at teams now, they run out of pitchers by the 16th inning. You know, Casper Wells was pitching in like the 17th or 18th um, the other day. And that never happened in the, in the 80s or 90s, even with five-man bullpens. You just you never saw a team actually run out of pitchers. So in a way, the eight-man bullpen has uh, actually made managers, or the seven or eight-man bullpen has made managers burn through their guys kind of a little bit more recklessly and run out of guys. So you could see it happening. You could certainly see it happening in extra innings. Although, I guess you couldn't really, because then you wouldn't be doing the platoon thing. It would only mm-hmm. work if you were, yeah, okay, yeah. so maybe Anyway. All right. Great, great question, Chris. Good question. Uh, almost enough to carry us through the entire show. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Derek uh, asks, uh, he, he goes into a long lead in about choking and clutch and all those sorts of things. Anyway, what I'm really trying to get at is the possibility of measuring who is comfortable in particular situations and who is not. I doubt players would ever agree to this, but wouldn't it be interesting to have guys wear heart rate monitors during the game? These devices aren't cumbersome, worn as a watch, for instance, and shouldn't impede uh, play with play. I imagine a baseline heart rate could be established for each player, and then that could be compared to the player's heart rate during different situations. By doing this, the post-facto assessments of a player's clutch could be eliminated, and we could get a real idea of who is nervous in high-leverage situations and who isn't. And I just want to, before I talk about this I, I to the larger point i'm not sure or to the, i guess to the specific point to the smaller point i'm not sure that measuring heart rate would tell you who's nervous i don't yeah, know that i don't know that it's correlated yeah you or, yeah. i mean in a, in a lot of ways uh, uh adrenaline is mm-hmm. exactly what gets you going adrenaline is a good thing and you know i mean i think a, a lot of my life is um is spent trying to avoid being anxious and avoid being stressed and avoid being sort of neurotic in the face of having to, to, you know, do things. But it's that neurosis and that anxiety that also drives me and propels me. So I don't know that, I'm not sure that it would necessarily tell you who's likely to choke. However, it would give you information. That's why I wanted to answer this because I do think it's realistic. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if you told me in 15 or 20 years or, or even less, maybe maybe significantly less, that this was a common thing that teams were measuring. I mean, Ben, ben knows I've been working on a long piece about clubhouse chemistry um, and whether it uh, has a role in analytics uh, for ESPN the magazine. And one of the ideas behind it is that um, we are moving into an era where it's less about analyzing what we can measure and more about imagining what we can measure and sort of trying to expand the idea of what we can measure. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems like to some degree that's what front offices are doing right now. I mean, that's what differentiates certain front offices is what they measure, what they think to measure, and, and then figuring out what to do with it. And so in a lot of ways, I think that we're, we're it might not happen because the players do have a say in this and they don't necessarily buy into a lot of these things. But it wouldn't surprise me if we moved into an era where 
heart rates were monitored, where uh, a lot more personality traits and maybe even like Russell Carlton suggested sort of in a piece on chemistry, uh, mood is monitored, measured. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it doesn't seem unrealistic to me. I think that, uh, Derek, you bring up an idea that probably at least one guy in one front office will hear and think, oh, that's interesting, and file it away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't have that much to add to that. I'd, I'd love to see it. It would give us a, a lot of a lot of things to, to write about. It would be uh, you'd, you'd have some new new forms of analysis that we've never had available to us, and that's always nice. But well, you're never you're never. Yeah, I mean, let's be real, Ben. You're never going to see it. Yeah, I I can't really imagine players ever going along with this. I mean, what's what's their incentive to agree to this? Well, it's what it's completely uh, unintrusive to them. What's their incentive well, not to go with it? Their boss says it's, that it's going to help them win games, and it doesn't. It doesn't cost them anything, right? Well, it's, it might help it the team win games. I don't know that it helps the individual player. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like people just kind of instinctively don't. It, it's kind of an invasion of privacy in a way. Uh, like an MRI. Well. I don't know. It's 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 constant monitoring. I wouldn't want to have my heart rate monitored while I while I recorded a podcast. I don't know. It's uh, I can't imagine players wanting to give teams access to their their internal states to this degree. I don't know. I'd like to I'd like to see it. I'd love to know what you know, Eric Gagne's heart rate was when he, when he would come in and whether a heart rate monitor could even measure that amount of intensity. And I'd like to know what Mariano Rivera's heart rate is. Uh, I, yeah, I think athletes are fairly open to this idea. I think athletes recognize that they are special machines and expose themselves to all sorts of poking and prodding that normal humans don't have to go through. Um, it's sort of part of the obligation. And if you tell them that it's for the good of the team, I, you know, I'm not saying certainly it would go over well, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was a way to implement it, um, you know, in, you know, if you slowly, I mean, look, uh, for all the concerns that we have about privacy in this world, I mean, the fact remains that over the last five or 10 years, we have completely (laughs) dissolved our own privacy, like completely to like, like, like every single thing that you would have 10 years ago thought you didn't want anybody to know mm-hmm. people just post on their own on the internet which is open to everybody so but there are I don't know. clear benefits to those things like we we accept the fact that someone can track us through our cell phone wherever we go because we like cell phones cell phones are useful and, and we can check our email but i don't know what players get out of it i mean it's kind of an abstract thing to say that it will help the team because i mean it will help the team by like getting rid of the guys who get nervous, I guess. And some of those guys are going to be players on the team who know they get nervous and they're not going to want the team kind of eavesdropping on, on their, on their yeah. anxiety. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you certainly wouldn't sell it as a way of weeding out <laughs> the wusses. I mean, you would, you'd have to, or maybe you would, maybe you it. make it like a macho thing. Like, <laughs> are you, you're not nervous. So what do you have to worry about? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's probably would be more experimental at first, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I it it seems to me that 
the the trend is toward more collection of information. And so if you tell me that something, some information is likely to be useful uh, to somebody, mm-hmm. my, my inclination is to think that they will find a way to get it before long. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, on to the next? Yep. All right. So this question is from Lillian, I believe, who is in Germany. And uh, he actually prefaces with, this question can't be answered in a podcast. It, and he's probably right, because I actually want to spin the question off into something else. But uh, in regards to catcher framing, uh, he says, with the thousands of pitches thrown in a season, there must be at least a few pitches that are indistinguishable in movement, velocity, and location. I'm thinking 92 mile an hours, fastball, outside corner. Seems like you see one of those every game. So if it's possible to gather a high number of almost exactly the same pitches on the corner of the strike zone. Some will be called balls, some will be called strikes to some degree, depending on the catcher's receiving talents, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's basically, I mean, you get where he's going with that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, the idea is like, is this a way of analyzing things to really find exact, exact plays in baseball and then comparing the different responses that players have to them? Mm-hmm. And I bring this up just because you told me kind of, uh, a little bit of the interesting behind the scenes of the Derek Jeter piece mm-hmm. that you had at Grantland, uh, in which you compared Derek Jeter and Brennan Ryan on kind of what were attempting to be the same plays. Mm-hmm. And if it's okay, can you sort of talk about what some of the challenges were, were to that? Because I had a similar idea with Angelton Simmons, and after talking to you, I realized that, um, in fact, the idea of two exact plays in baseball is probably a uh an impossibility more or less well uh there was the constraint in that article that i was picking out two two particular players so when you when you put that into it that really that limits your your potential pool of plays so the first thing i i asked baseball info solutions was for a list of of the closest the most similar plays that that jeter and brendan ryan had made and the ones they sent me were, I mean, they were in the same family of plays, but it wasn't like, and this was just over a two-year period, it wasn't like they were, you know, in the identical zone at the identical speed, looked exactly the same, and they just went about fielding them differently. They were, you know, like one was kind of deeper in the hole than another one, or closer to second base, and they weren't, they were comparable, but not not so similar that you could say that the only difference was the way that the fielder approached it. Um, so I ended up just comparing best plays and worst plays, which was something Bill James had done with with Jeter and Adam Everett several years ago. And uh, kind of had a, a similar thing in the thing on catcher framing that I wrote for Grantland because I was looking for identical pitches to Jose Molina and Ryan Domit um, and hoping to to show that the only difference between getting a call and not getting a call in their case on those pitches was the way that they caught the pitch. And that was also pretty difficult to find because, you know, you, you want to restrict it to the same pitcher handedness and the same count and the same type of pitch. And you're, you're looking for borderline pitches because, you know, every catcher gets the strike right down the middle. So that's, all of these things are, are lowering, lowering the, the potential pool of pitches that you can pick from. And, and I ended up with a couple that were kind of close, but not exactly the same. But if you wanted to do it and you didn't put any restriction in about what players you were looking for, 
you could probably come up with uh, some pretty good examples, I would think. Some, but then here's the thing, and this is where I think it becomes impossible, is that so much of framing is about the catcher's expectations. And so you, what you actually need is you need to have the same target. The catcher needs to have the same target. He needs to have the same expectation. Mm-hmm. And you don't – it's really hard to know where the catcher's target is. For one thing, because nobody's measuring it or basically nobody that you can access is measuring it. And so you would have to look at each one individually partly because the target is not necessarily really the target. A lot of times the catcher, I mean, different catchers and different pitchers use more sort of specific targets. Some catchers and some pitchers, you know, there, there essentially is no target. You call for a sign that says uh, fastball outside and then the pitcher throws it there and where the catcher's glove starts doesn't actually matter. Um, or I guess from our perspective, what we see doesn't matter. It's kind of an illusion. And if the cat, I mean, even if you have the same target, if the catcher is catching a pitcher who tends to miss kind of tailing away versus a pitcher who tends to maybe yank the pitch down, he's going to be expecting a slightly different outcome. And Mm -hmm. I found that I sort of had, I mean, in a much simpler way when I was thinking about how to do this with Simmons, I thought, oh, well, this is easy. I'll just, you know, I'll just go through spray charts and find two balls that are in the same place but mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're expecting a ball to be somewhere else it's really not the same thing if the outcome ends up in the same place so yeah it it is an idea that almost completely falls apart when you try to put it in play it's sort of troubling because it's a fun idea and it seems like it would be really useful you just there, there's really not a there's not a pool of plays that you can really do this with. Yeah, I don't know how useful it is. I think it would be fun, but I feel like it would be useful if you're trying to convince someone that... Yeah, it's visually useful. It's yeah. really useful for showing somebody. If you if you accept the premise that the way that a catcher receives a pitch can affect the call, then you don't necessarily need to show identical pitches. You can show the catcher catching almost any pitch. I mean, catcher's will tend to do the same sort of thing, set up in the same sort of way and receive the ball the same sort of way on most pitches. And you can kind of extrapolate from any pitch to say that if this is what he does most of the time, then that would be good or bad on a, on a borderline pitch. Um, so I, I think you can, you can get a lot just by looking at people do the same things, even if, you know, even if it's not the same opportunity exactly. Okay. Uh, All right. This is going to be the last question, which means that we are not going to get to John's question on whether you should shift for the pitcher instead of the hitter, which is a good question. Mm. We're not going to get to uh, uh, Brian's question on baseball cards, which is a good question. And we're not going to get to Eric's question about whether baseball would be better if it were run socialistically Mm -hmm. or as socialism, which I actually like. Uh, So the last question is from Scott. Uh, who asked, to the best of your knowledge, has Tommy John ever tried to cash in on being tied to Tommy John surgery? His mad, uh, Tommy John's magic elbow elixir, perhaps? I'm not aware of this, nor am I under the impression he's that sort of person, but maybe you guys are aware of something. Uh, we have an entire generation of fans who know nothing about Tommy John's career, aside from the fact that he had the surgery. 
uh, in his own way, he's one of the most famous players in baseball history. His name might be mentioned more than Babe Ruth's, certainly far more than Christy Mathewson's. Uh, this question came in really, really recently, so I didn't do any research on this, but I've never heard of any such thing, other than the fact that Tommy John won like 160 games or something like that after the surgery, which is a sort of way of cashing in on it, uh, <laughs> yeah. but no, no more than every other pitcher but uh, i mean w- i don't know it's sort of like it i don't know do you feel like tommy john has any ownership over this do you have you ever kind of do you link i guess the question do you link tommy john in the surgery or do you are they just two words that happen to be the same uh yeah i i don't really think of the pitcher most times that i think of the surgery i i mean i don't know whether he deserves any of the credit for the surgery you know i i mean i guess it 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 took some some adventurousness to to undergo the surgery in an experimental well, technique but i mean it's it is a it is a brutal brutal rehab i yeah, mean i think he deserves a lot of credit especially I then it, i mean yeah you can certainly imagine a lot of pitchers that wouldn't have come back from it that at the exact same time could have had the exact same surgery and didn't make it through the rehab it's a super tough rehab. I don't think people mm-hmm. appreciate that. So and especially to some if you're degree, the first guy and you don't even know whether it'll work. There's no track record so you can't tell yourself, okay, uh, you know, hundreds of people have gone through this and they've come back. You you have no idea whether it will actually work and you could be doing all that work for nothing. Yeah, would you feel weird if Tommy John were out there pimping his <laughs> How would you how would you pimp a surgery? I don't know how you would pimp a <laughs> surgery, but I mean, he hasn't made a he hasn't made a big deal out of it. I, I don't know how he would. You're right. It's true. I mean, what would you, what would you do? How would you profit <laughs> from this? I don't know. I, I, I mean, it does seem kind of odd that his name has been taken from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he would have any trademark right to it. I mean, I guess if he tried, if he tried to trademark it, they would just call it the UCL surgery, and then mm-hmm. he would get nothing anyway, right? I mean, his name is not, his name is not inherently valuable in this. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I don't know. And there's an element of him just being the right player at the right time. If if that technique had been pioneered earlier, someone else would have done it because pitchers like pitching and, uh, you know, pitchers will do whatever they can to keep pitching in a lot of cases. So, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's kept his his name in the in the kind of national consciousness, but I don't know that that's helped him i mean i don't know maybe it has we can ask him to open his books and uh let us know maybe he gets more invitations to you know card signings or something yeah i somebody gets probably somebody out there who is listening knows whether tommy john gets more for his autograph than a similar pitcher like uh who's a similar charlie huff is charlie huff a similar pitcher Uh, yeah i don't know what's fascinating is that that Tommy John is a borderline Hall of Famer mm-hmm. who I believe has more wins than anybody who's not in the Hall of Fame. I might be I might be slightly off, but I think he does. Yeah, that's right, right? Or is it and, yeah. and yet didn't make the hall, didn't really get all that close. You would think that this surgery would have bumped him. I mean, he was a he was on the ballot as late as four years ago. So mm-hmm. I mean it's the name had plenty of time to get kind of Yes famous i mean you you're it's sort of surprising that he didn't get a bigger bump 
than than he did for having the name that is so famous. I mean, you always hear like kind of the the hackish, the hackneyed uh, argument against certain players. Oh, it's the Hall of Fame. You know, it's a, you got to be famous. <laughs> right. And the Kevin Tommy Goldstein, Dunn, the Kevin Goldstein argument. <laughs> a hack. Yeah. A guy. Yeah. Uh, so you do you do sort of wonder why? Uh, I'm I'm a little surprised he didn't get a little bump. That's all. Yeah, he's a he's a borderline guy as it is, and you'd think that maybe someone would throw a vote his way just for kind of historical significance and putting a person who did something did some sort of milestone in in a museum about baseball. But so maybe that's maybe that's a sign then that. Uh, that it, he hasn't benefited from it. What did I'm, I'm trying to? So he peaked uh, his last year on the ballot, thirty-one point seven. So he wasn't even he wasn't even halfway there in his last year. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it's been a financial gain of some sort. But and and we'll remember who he is. It'll be a legacy thing. Uh, people will will talk about him because of that. So he can. He can he can be happy knowing that he'll be remembered after he's yeah. gone. Sure. All right, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Let's do it again in a week. We will.